Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll-Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Cara, I'm so excited to welcome Jacqueline Friedman to the Puberty Podcast. Well, I mean, obviously, because she's a complete <laughs> and utter rock star. I mean, we have been fans of Jacqueline's from afar for a very long time. And from up close, when we first connected, not in real life, but in virtual real life <laughs> recently, and, and she's just changing the world. And I think that's the right place to start. So Jacqueline, can you... Can you tell us how you're changing the world, please? Well, I would love to. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Although I will say the feeling's very mutual. I feel like I've been listening to your show and watching you on Instagram for so long, and it's a thrill to be here. So thank um, you. Very, very mutual. I, a few years ago, founded an organization called Educate Us, which is an advocacy organization building a movement of voters for sex ed around the country because. We know we have a majority of folks around the country who support and want quality sex and relationships education in our public schools, but mostly we don't know how to vote like that. Um, and that's where Educate Us comes in. We've partnered with SECUS, which is the premier policy shop for sex education since the 1950s in this country. And, and they're our, our C3 partner. And we're just out there trying to make sure the policy that they're honing and advocating for has the muscle, the grassroots muscle on the ground to actually get enacted. So we are going to talk about 
sex education, but through a different lens than, or from a different perspective, I should say, than we've ever talked about on this podcast, because we've touched on the political aspects of sex ed. We've talked about the legal requirements and the enforcement or lack thereof of the legal requirements, but very peripherally. And we are going to get into a lot of that. And I think we should start there and talk a little bit about sex ed standards to begin with. And just for the framing, for those who have not listened to our episode with our intern, Elizabeth, who did this unbelievable spreadsheet for us for her senior project in high school, where she went through and she really got collected state by state every single standard. And then she came on the podcast and talked about the experience of what she learned and all that. We're now going to hear from someone who's been doing this work for a very long time about what standards exist and whether or not we can even say that there are standards across the country. Do you want to start, Jacqueline? I mean, spoiler alert, no. We're laughing, but we're crying is the <laughs> truth. Yeah, right? we're crying I mean, on the inside. I'll sob is what I like to say. Yeah, so there is no federal policy on what sex ed should be taught in public schools, period, full stop. Sometimes when Republicans are in control of the federal government, there are incentive laws in place to incentivize schools to teach what I call abstinence propaganda, because I don't actually call it education. When Democrats get in charge, they tend to zero out those funds because we know that abstinence propaganda actually harms kids and doesn't keep them safe in any way. But there's no law on the book saying, here's what a bare minimum standard would be for teaching sex and relationships education in schools. Every state deals with it in their own way, and some of them don't deal with it at all. So it sounds like you've already gone over that a little bit. But- a little bit. A little. But can we go back to, just yeah. let's dig into abstinence for one second. Yeah. Let's just be clear about when education is focused on abstinence only, it harms. For the uninitiated, can you explain why? Sure. I mean, for a number of reasons. One is when education is solely focused on abstinence, young people don't learn how to keep themselves safe, specifically from STDs and pregnancy that are, that are unwanted, but also in relationships if there may be abuse and coercion going on, that's not getting covered in those conversations either. And specifically young people who are more likely to be marginalized or targeted. So I'm talking about girls. I'm talking about kids of color. I'm talking about queer and trans kids. If they don't get an education that gives them some indication that sex could be something that they have on their own terms and that they get control over, then when it doesn't feel good and someone's forcing it on them and it doesn't feel like they get to run the agenda when it comes to sex, they have literally not learned any different. So it really leaves young people vulnerable to abuse. And I want to zero in on one thing you said, because it was something that Elizabeth brought up when she talked about her experience researching, which is the concern about abstinence only or not having comprehensive sex education is that kids are also not taught about things around consent and reporting assault and, you know, relationship violence and that there are places where they're actually forbidden 
from coming to trusted adults in the community and reporting those things. So people assume that abstinence only is just, oh, you know, don't have sex, save yourself until you're married. But there's a whole host of wraparound, really important protective topics that get covered that are also not allowed to be covered in places where it's abstinence only. A hundred percent. And the thing that I think gets talked about the least is it also doesn't prepare young people to have healthy relationships, even in the context of marriage, right? Right. Like they're not going to grow up and then suddenly instantaneously know everything they need to know, having healthy emotional and or sexual relationships just because marriage happens. It's not (laughs) magic, right? Like, and a lot of young people who are pressured into abstinence, get married very young because they want to have sex and they have really difficult and dysfunctional relationships as a result because they're not prepared. So I want to close the abstinence conversation by making a global summary statement and raise your hand or say I if this applies to you. It is not that abstinence is not a path that we talk about because it is absolutely a viable path for anyone who is talking about what they want to do with their sexual narrative. So none of us on this podcast are suggesting that abstinence is not okay. It's the word, right? You're raising your hand, Jacqueline. Vanessa, I think you're raising your hand. Okay, Vanessa's raising her hand. (laughs) It's, It's the word that, Vanessa, you used about seven times in your question to Jacqueline only. It's abstinence only education is the problem. And so I think we've beaten that horse now and we get to put it aside and we welcome any comments or questions about it. But just to be super clear, abstinence is one corner of sexual education. And then there's a whole other world that involves choosing to have sex. And so let's go there. And I would even say good sex education teaches young people how to know if and when they want to have sex. Absolutely. And makes them more prepared to choose abstinence if that's the right decision for them. And what different kinds of sex are and what kinds of sex feel safe and pleasurable and meaningful to them, right? It's not just penis and vagina sex. There's all different kinds of sex. And the choice that some people feel that they are asexual and identify as asexual and they are not interested in sexual relationships people of any age. We're not just talking about teenagers. So we have that universe. We want to protect that as a whole variety of realities. But in the panoply of sex education standards, abstinence only is not one that we collectively support as a healthy and safe option for growing and developing teens. I want to ask Jacqueline, can you talk about there is an act on the books. I don't know what stage it is in Congress. So I'm going to ask you to to walk us through this. But the Real Education and Access for Healthy Youth Act, which I believe was sponsored by SECUS. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what that is, where it is in the legislative process, why it's important, and, and just give us a, a quick education on that? Yeah, um, we are so excited about, we call it REA, is how we pronounce the acronym, the Real Education and Access for Healthy Youth Act. Thank you for that, because I can't say that again. (laughs) REA is easy. The other one is harder for me to say. Great. Okay. So REA is an incredible bill that has been introduced in both the House and the Senate that would do for 
quality, comprehensive sex and relationships education, what the Republicans like to do for abstinence-only education. Okay. Um, so it would provide funding and incentives for schools to choose to teach better, more complete sex education for teacher training, for purchasing curriculum, technical support. And it also provides for more reproductive health services to be provided directly to students inside of the schools who participate. Before we get into it, I want to understand, there are state standards, but not national standards. And you use the words choose, schools who choose to have curricula or this education. So before we get deep into how it might get funded at schools, can you explain a little bit about if a state has a requirement, why does a school still have a choice to teach or not teach? Well, it depends on the state, right? So some states have nothing on the books at all. So I'm in Massachusetts. We fundamentally have no laws on the books mandating what should be taught as part of sex and relationships education. Our Department of Elementary and Secondary Education is just about to vote, hopefully soon, on an update to their standards, which are no, don't have the force of law, but are at least guidance for schools on what should be taught. They haven't been updated in 24 years. We just got our brand new governor, Maura Healy, made sure that they an update is coming out, but that doesn't even have the force of law. So in Massachusetts, just as an example, schools can teach anything or nothing and call it sex education. They could just not teach it at all. They could teach abstinence propaganda. They could teach really fantastic curriculum. It's genuinely up to the school district. And as you might imagine, that causes a lot of chaos and also fundamentally injustice, right? It shouldn't depend on your zip code, what kind of education you get. We can see how a lot of inequities might be perpetuated in that system. Some states have minimum standards for what needs to be taught. So California, for example, has CHIA, the California Healthy Youth Act, and it sets standards for schools must teach these topics in these ways at least this often. Schools could decide to go above and beyond that, right? They could teach more frequently and more in depth, but they have to at minimum meet those standards. And then there are states that forbid the teaching of some topics, which I know we're going to get into, where schools can't choose to teach whatever they want if they want to be in compliance with state law, because, for example, teaching about the existence of gay and trans people is illegal. And so what I like to say, like, figuring out what's being taught where in terms of sex ed in this country is like solving like a GRE SAT question, right? Like, it's like, it's like one of those horrible word problems. So Jacqueline, let's go back. So Massachusetts, it's one of how many states that has nothing on them? I believe six. Okay. And, you know, in Massachusetts, it's like, oh, well, it's a progressive state with, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that's an assumption that people can't always make, right? Like we're all very busy globalizing about what a whole state is like. And yet community by community there's whole microcosms of beliefs about sex education. And even worse, it's also teacher by teacher, right? So in a lot of school districts, when nothing more is mandated, they just say like, okay, health teachers or PE teacher who teaches health, right? You know. Or English teacher. English or teacher. history teacher. Yes. Do what you want. So we're hearing from young people, even in what might be considered liberal communities, 
who are hearing really damaging stuff about themselves and their friends as part of sex education in that school, just because whoever got handed it to teach learned their own set of messed up things, right? And their own messed up sex education, which is how the cycle gets perpetuated. So it's not even like this one community has decided to do something harmful. It's also, it's just chaos. And then in states where there is something on the book, so let's use California as an example, is there enforcement for that? Who's in charge of the enforcement? How does it get implemented or instated? Like what happens there? That's a really important question. People think that in a state like California, it's done, right? It's been handled. But in reality, the Department of Education in California seems to have no budget for enforcement, right? Officially, it's their business. But there's no active enforcement mechanisms that we can detect being activated in California. We're currently working with organizers in a particular community that I'm not going to name in California because their school district is just completely out of compliance and doesn't see the need to come into compliance with the law on the books because no one is paying attention. Before we get to states that forbid it, I think this sort of begs the question, why is it a school's job? Hmm. To teach sex education? Yes. Oh, I mean, this is the fundamental question, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a school's job to get young people ready to be adults in a whole host of ways, right? And sex and relationships education fundamentally, first of all, creates a better learning environment for every other subject. We actually know from social research that when young people have this kind of education, they do better academically because if you feel safe at school, you can focus on your study. So first of all, it creates a better school environment. It actively reduces bullying and increases bystander intervention behavior among students that if they see one of their peers being targeted, they're more likely to stand up and intervene. It reduces sexual and other kinds of violence. It makes young people more likely to report if they're being abused. So it is fundamental safety skills for life just to start with. But sex education is everybody's business. The answer to the question that I like to cut to the chase on is, what if the Supreme Court, all the people in the Supreme Court, had quality sex education? Like, how would they be making different rulings? I have chills. Wow. Had better sex education, right? What if every young person grew up knowing how to handle rejection without becoming violent for themselves or somebody Mm. else? It's just fundamental safety skills. And it's really fundamental to the communities we are trying to build together. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. 
It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors Ready to Eat Meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor Meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. I just want to highlight that that answer is so important. And where you started is the simplest, most fundamental piece of it, which is the job of schools is to educate. And we are talking about sex education. So we're not talking about sex agendas. We're not talking about sex scripting. We're talking about education. And there are simple straight up facts that have to do with how bodies 
interact with one another and things that you should know about the consequences of bodies interacting with one another that are very important facts. And also, Jacqueline, you're using a term. You're not just saying sex education, you're saying sex and relationship education. Mm -hmm. And I really want to highlight that because it's often something that people overlook or don't even know is part of comprehensive sex education. Can you talk about the relationship aspects and why it's important as part of sex education? It's so important. I think so many people, for good reason, because look at the sex education we all got. (laughs) I think so many people think sex education is just like the birds and the beads and maybe putting a condom on a banana, right? But when we talk about what gets called comprehensive sex education or sex and relationships education, K through 12 education on sexual health and wellness, call it what you will. It's really about creating the building blocks so that we can have all kinds of healthy relationships throughout our lives, including healthy sexual relationships, because fundamentally you can't have healthy sexual interactions if you don't have healthy relationship skills, right? You can't because you have to You have to negotiate things with another person that can be very difficult and sensitive. And if you don't have the skills to just fundamentally have all kinds of healthy relationships, you don't have the skills you need to be able to have healthy sexual interactions. And so we're talking about consent. We're talking about emotional regulation. We're talking about how to know who is a trusted adult in your life and go talk to them if you need that. How to know what the signs are of abuse in a relationship. What does a healthy relationship look like and an unhealthy one look like? How to process all the messages you're getting from the media and social media and, and everywhere. Like How to put that in context and understand how that does or doesn't apply to you. All of this stuff impacts whether or not you can have a healthy sexual interaction. And so it all has to get taught. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about my kids' high school course loads and what classes they actually took and take during the day. And I'm thinking about how they may have a language class for a language they may never speak. They may have a math class for a level of math that they may never use in the job that they do. And yet every person navigates sex and relationships. It's like, it's so simply, it's so fundamental. It's amazing. And I think we do need to get to the states that forbid it because I think it's very important for us to understand the scope of that. How many states are involved? How many kids are getting actively not educated? And what do the the adults in those states need to do to fill in the holes here? So the first thing I would say is if your listeners are in the United States, they should not assume that they're in a safe state mm-hmm. because there are fights about this happening in every state. So even states that have good law on the book or good regulations on the books, you know, in New Jersey, for example, there's good laws on and regulations on the books. There are school boards that are actively voting to flout what's on the state level to be able to out kids who come out at school to their parents, even if they don't want to be outed or it's not safe for them to be outed, for example. So there is no state in the United States that someone should say, phew, I'm in a good state. I don't have to worry about this. It's really important that everybody tune in to what's happening both at the state level where you live and at the school board level. And that can be a little challenging to figure out because school boards don't always make it easy. There should be a page on your town's website that says, here's when the school board meets, here's the agenda for the upcoming meeting, here's the minutes from recent meetings. 
there aren't always. I 100% encourage folks to call and ask for this information if it is not readily available. So that's just the fundamentals. There are a number of states, and I don't have the the actual current number at my fingertips because it I is- I mean, it changes every day. Every day. Yeah. So there are a shocking number of states that are passing, don't say gay laws, don't say trans laws, regulations about banning the teaching of human sexuality. That's Indiana, I believe, you know, in particular grades or altogether that, that are doing book bans that affect what can be taught in sex education. Because, of course, if you can't use the book, it's harder to teach the class, right? So all of these different, there are some states that have passed bills banning the teaching of divisive concepts Hmm. in school, which is so bananas to think that that could be a law that we can't teach divisive. And also, yeah, and and yet they still teach history, but go on. Yeah. (laughs) So we can talk about Florida. We can talk about Virginia. We can talk about Indiana. We can talk about any number of states, but I just want people to know that these are the states that are like the really, you know, headline grabbing states. They may be doing some of the most extreme stuff, but you should not assume that everything's cool where you live because we see this happening in Massachusetts. These fights are happening at the school board level in Massachusetts. Let's use Florida as an example because it's, you know, all over the news. And in some ways they've been spearheading some of these really troubling new laws and policies. What is the state of sex education in the state of Florida? If if that's even a fair way to ask the question. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that I could tell you up to the minute because also there's lawsuits going back and forth. But right. we know that Florida has outlawed the teaching of the existence of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and trans people. That you can't have books on the shelf that acknowledge queer and trans people exist. And you can't talk about them in math class, let alone sex ed, right? And I just want to be clear, the stuff that's getting banned is not about teaching an agenda. It's really just saying, these are people who exist. You should treat them with human dignity, right? Like, or just these are people who who exist and therefore they're an example in your math book, right? Like, it's just literally banning the, the teaching that these, that folks exist, which is just like, so I can't even, for those of us who read about and think about caring for adolescents, know that support groups, open conversation, safe spaces for LGBTQ plus kids and their allies, like it is so protective as many layers as possible within the school communities that acknowledge, support, and protect these kids, the healthier the entire school community is, not just for those kids, but for all kids. So to completely dry the well of any of those, frankly, protective measures should be terrifying to parents of all kids, not just gay and trans and non-binary kids. And just like you said, Jacqueline, there's no safe state in this country. Any community that is not inclusive can be unsafe for many, many kids, not just kids who identify in those what people consider more marginalized groups. And with the percentage of and the numbers of kids who identify as as non-binary, as gay, as bisexual, as transgender, right? It is it is more and more 
common in our country for kids of Gen Alpha and Gen Z and millennials to openly express those identities. People think it's like really fringe and marginal. There are lots and lots of kids out there who these are their identities. So if you think it's, oh, somebody else's school and somebody else's kid and somebody else's community, think again when you make that assumption. Everything you said was, I couldn't agree more with all of it. It's, I hate to use hyperbole, but sometimes hyperbole is necessary. It's genuinely life and death. Yep. But also, as you said, when schools are less safe for queer and trans kids, they're less safe for everybody. Because I know we don't like to talk about this, but everybody's a little different, right? When there's no room to veer from the norm, right? From when the norms are so rigid. And not only are these subjects now banned, but now Florida is encouraging, I don't remember if it's encouraging or mandating the use of curricula from Prager University, which is not a university. It's a website run by right-wingers. And the messages are like about how to be feminine and how to be masculine in these incredibly deeply stereotypical ways. Lessons are about how slaves benefited from slavery. It's really, really extreme stuff. And so it's not, at Florida's at this point where they're not just saying you can't talk about the stuff that actually promotes health and safety for young people, not to mention happiness, right? We want kids not just to be healthy. We haven't even talked about happiness and love, which have relationships that feel good to them and make them happy. But they're actively inserting themselves and putting their thumb on the scale and saying, instead, you should teach these incredibly rigid ideas, which most young people are not going to find themselves in. They're going to feel like they're failing those standards. Right. And so then it drives them further into sort of underground or away from the adults in their lives. So if the goal here is for kids, teens, tweens, 20-somethings, to be able to have sounding boards that they trust so that when things don't go well, that they have someone to go to. If they have been raised in a community that says, we don't talk about any of this. When we do talk about it, we talk about it in a very prescriptive way and either you fit or you don't. It's very analog, right? You're with us or you're against us. And if you don't fit, and as you so beautifully said, everyone's a little different. Everyone has a way they don't fit. If you don't fit, then we don't engage in conversation around this. What we know to be true is that then all of the safety mechanisms that are built into having conversation, getting someone to a physician or to a mental health care provider or getting them the physical protection they need in order to keep themselves safe with whether it's birth control or, you know, something else, any of it, like you could go down any road and the conversation really does keep them safe. And when conversation is not invited, then that's where we start to see more problems. Can I tell you a story from my own life when I was- Yes, of course. I think about this all the time. I started having sex with my boyfriend when I was just shy of 16. And there was no one I could talk to about it because not only were my parents like very like you can't even have a boy over with the door closed right like kind of rules it it was not an option to talk to them but I actually didn't know if any of my friends would be chill about it either Mm -hmm. because no one could talk about it this was the Mm -hmm. 1980s I'm 51 but this this is the same kind of tone Mm -hmm. that's being set here right 
And he was pretty okay, actually. You gotta give Andy credit. He, you know, I have notes from retrospect, but like he was turned out to be an okay guy. But if he had not, I would have been right. up a creek. Yes. I would have had nowhere to turn. And it turns my stomach every time I think about 15-year-old me, so full of excitement and curiosity and like hormones and you know, and all of that stuff. And you know, you know, I don't regret that decision. That was a good decision for me, but I could have been in real trouble. There was, I literally told no one for years. Nobody knew. There wasn't even a friend I could trust, let alone an adult. And I was so vulnerable. And it is only by accident that I was okay. That story is incredible to me because one of the things that makes it hard to teach sex and health education is the fact that sometimes it feels like a bunch of stuff gets conflated, right? Like sometimes you're just teaching a class about, how to help armpits not smell. And parents are up in arms about the sex part of the conversation. It's like, no, 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 we're talking about soap, right? (laughs) So it's very hard to deal with the conflation there. And yet what your story shows is there is conflation. So being sexually active in any way, even not sexually active, going back to the relationship paradigm, just having feelings and feeling feelings in any way can make you vulnerable to a whole host of things. And all of these pieces need to be woven together. I mean, you know, abuse and risk of abuse. What if you had been a victim of abuse or assault in that relationship and you had no one to talk to? And it's conflating things. It's mashing things together. And yet that is why the conversation is so important. And I would argue, and I think, again, raise your hand if you're all in agreement, but I think you are. (laughs) I would argue that no one on this podcast is saying it should only be taught in schools, that everything we're saying is in every corner, right? Oh, two hands went up. Shocking. We both Um, agreed with that statement. Exactly. But this is an important fact is I don't think anyone would argue that this conversation, that this education needs to be fully outsourced. It needs to exist in multiple areas in a kid's life. And that goes beyond school and beyond the dinner table there need to be other trusted adults that a kid can turn to or anyone can turn a 50 year old can turn to when things are going poorly or when or when things are going well right i mean that's the other thing is we keep leaving joy and happiness out of this like sometimes you want to share incredible yes. news with someone so okay i'll get off my can I, can I add something to that that's really yes not only should parents absolutely be talking with their young people in their lives, their kids, and other young people in their lives, all adults should be, about sex and sexuality when it is appropriate, when the conversation is open in little ways, right? This Everyone thinks it's like the talk. And I know you've covered this, but like, it should be a million little light talks, right? right. Instead of like one big talk, so that they know you're a safe person to come to. But at the same time, we have to admit that healthy sexual relationships is a real subject of study that deserves to be taught by people who know how to teach it. Mm. That's not only accurate and helpful, but can be received by young people. And that we don't expect parents to be the physics teacher, right? Like we don't expect parents to be the English teacher, right? Because these are subjects that are worthy of like teachers who are trained in effective curricula that have been proven to be useful and helpful and not harmful. And most of us also got crap sex ed and have absorbed 
really bad ideas about sex from the culture. And if we don't get some help from teachers who know what they're doing, that's also what we're going to inadvertently pass on. So Jacqueline, let's take that wish and that hope that all kids are educated by trained, qualified professionals, in addition to being in supportive, loving conversations with trusted adults in their lives. If people live in a community where having trained, knowledgeable sex education teachers is not the reality, what can they do? You talked about calling the school board. So that's one thing. What can people do? I mean, we hear from listeners in states and they say to us, do I need to move? Am I safe? Is my kid safe? Like, do I need to move? What can I do? How do I go about it? Like people are afraid, they're overwhelmed, they're worried, and they feel unsafe. What can they do? I feel so emotional just thinking about parents who need to move because the state is not safe for their kids. Like I just, the first thing I want to say is I can't answer whether you need to move or not, but I really want to validate anyone out there who's thinking maybe I do need to move. Like you should absolutely do what is going to keep you and yours safe. And I trust you make that decision. You know, if I, if it was a friend of mine, we'd have a conversation about it, but every situation is different. If you are in a place to be able to stay and fight, if you're not ready to take that step and you want to stay and fight, definitely getting involved at the school board is a great place to start. Find out when the school board elections are. The easy way to do this is actually, if I may plug, if you go to educateusaction.org, we have all kinds of tools, one of which is you'll see uh, one of our menu items is take the pledge. If you take that pledge, we will tell you when your school board elections are and let you help help you figure out who to vote for in those elections to make your kids safer and happier at school. And we'll link to that in the show notes. We'll link to the site and the page. We also have a little interactive map under our Get Involved about getting involved in your community, where in some states we have local partners who are organizing and advocating for sex ed that we will be really happy to connect you with. If you let us know what state you're in, we can let you know who we're in contact there. We're not in all 50 yet. We're working on it. (laughs) But uh, as many places as we have contacts, we will get you connected because it's always easier to take action in groups and instead of feeling like you're the lone person. Mm-hmm. I promise you you're not the lone person even if you d- I can't connect you with an organization on the ground. I think that in almost every community, I know it doesn't look like this because the opposition to sex education is very well funded and loud and scary in most communities in this country, even purple and sometimes red ones, there is a majority for quality sex education in schools everyone's just terrified right now to speak up. And so it's possible if you're willing to stick your neck out and be the first one that you may discover you have friends that way as well. But not everyone is ready to do that. There's also on our website, a guide to how to advocate at a school board meeting, including messages that we've tested and done research on that are really effective in persuading on this issue. Our website's full of resources. But the number one thing I would say is pay attention to your school board. There may be legislation moving at the state level. Here in Massachusetts, there is a state-level bill moving called the Healthy Youth Act. And then you can call your representatives in the state house and say, please move the Healthy Youth Act. We, we really need it. But that is state by state. And that the best way to get connected with that is to get connected with state organizers to find out what's moving on that level. Go to PTA meetings, 
right? Another organization that's really great that is working on issues related to this is Red Wine and Blue, which is specifically organizing parents in the suburbs. So if that's you, Red Wine and Blue could be great for you. I love the name. <laughs> Red Wine and Blue. Yeah. Um, they have what they call troublemaker trainings that get you prepared to do advocacy work and things like that. They're really doing incredible work in a lot of places. But the number one thing I want you to do is not feel like there's nothing you can do. Start at the school board level, look around and see who else is showing up, start asking your friends and make a plan because the reason the opposition to sex ed is winning right now is because they're scary and loud and well-funded, but not because they're a majority. And if we start showing up in the numbers that actually exist, they will not keep winning. I think a perfect place to land is to not make assumptions. You know, tucked into that list of incredible resources, you mentioned that oftentimes people just think that the people around them, their neighbors, their community members, believe certain things. We're human and we are quick to throw labels on things and to try to compartmentalize. This is one place where engaging in conversations, not just with the kids in your lives, but with the other adults in your lives, helps you break down those barriers and understand when you actually have commonality. They might object to one little corner of this teaching, but 90% of it is great with them. This is how we begin to break down the divisiveness in our communities to begin to understand really, okay, what is it about sex education that stresses you out? Neighbor of mine who is at the school board fighting it, let's talk about it and let's see if we have more common ground than we realized. You are such a wealth. We love having you. We love knowing you. We will link to every single resource that you have described, most of which is on your website. We also on our website have links to you and we will make sure to amplify those because sometimes it takes people lots of different roads to find the same information. Jacqueline, thank you for everything you are doing to move the needle. We cannot wait to see where your work goes. It's going to go great places. Oh, well, thank you so much. And ditto. And I cannot wait to read the book. Um, I wish I had it when I was kid. So congratulations so much on the book and and everything you're doing. I think you're doing so much good in the world. And I'm I'm equally glad to be connected with you. Thank you. As we always say, it's never too late. So you will get a copy of the book and then you can share all the wisdom with all the amazing people that you work with and collaborate with. And thank you, Jacqueline, for being with us. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Yet. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.